Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. We're bringing accountability to taxpayer spending, right? That's something that Arizonans across the state of any political party can get behind. I just want to make sure we're doing this fairly. I, I like to say, I did not see a Democrat project cut. Some people, unfortunately, who do this to supplement their income are doing it illegally because state law has not properly addressed this. This shouldn't be a crime. Cooking dinner should not be a crime. Making tamales, which is what this bill became about, should not be a crime. I was really happy to hear her plan that would give raises to not just teachers, but also the support personnel. Because as a teacher, I know we're all a team. I see Carrie Lake. Congratulations, Carrie. I spotted her, I have to announce, because she's terrific. She's going to be a senator, a great senator, I predict, right? You're going to be a great senator. Jake Hoffman has been the loudest uh, voice in calling for its full repeal. And I would like to ask him if he wants to stand up to his constituents and say, you don't need the jobs that the LG battery plant in Queen Creek is providing. You know, he's the one that needs to answer for that. Folks, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of this border after four decades. And right now, it's the ugliest I've ever seen it. And joining me to talk about the debate over the future of the Arizona Commerce Authority, dueling proposals to extend Prop 123 and more, our former state school superintendent, Jaime Molera of Molera Alvarez. Good morning, Jaime. Good morning. And Don Penish-Thacker of Agave Strategy. Hi, Don. Hello. So let's start with uh, the governor's budget proposal. Last Friday, after the show, uh, last Friday she released it. Uh, Don, Republican uh, appropriation chairs called it an unserious mess. Uh, She's gotten a lot of praise. She's gotten a lot of criticism from it. What are your sort of main takeaways from what what she's proposing here? Well, you know, in a a document like this, a proposal like this, a governor has to achieve two aims. So one is to signal her values, to show that she is actually putting dollars and intention behind the, you know, the ideas and the values that she shared in her state of the state and that are held by her party, um, but also be practical and realistic enough to say, you know, two sides are going to have to agree on this. Here are some of the priorities. Here are places that I'm giving and taking. And and so she did that. And this is the reaction that we have every time a governor puts forward a proposal, you know, because we say, ah, that's one side says these ideas are crazy. The other says we're not seeing enough of what we want. And it'll go through that process. Um, it's funny that some of the some of the criticism from Republicans has been that it's chipping away at too many Republican programs because last but last budget, the one that costs so much, um, was predominantly Republican programs. And these, you know, claims of partisanship were not heard at the time that Republicans were getting outsized giveaways. Well, so one of the interesting things about the criticism and I, and maybe one of the reasons why it was called an unserious mess is that the governor proposed, at least in part, by closing the shortfalls that we're dealing with uh, for this fiscal year next by putting new restrictions on school vouchers on the ESA program and basically doing away with the STO program, the dollar for dollar tax credit where people can donate uh, to organizations that give scholarships to go to, to private schools. And Republicans are like, we're not going to do that. So like, what, what's your next what's your next idea? 
Well, and and that's a, the the perfect example of where she has to kind of put her budget where her mouth is, right? She has said that the ESA voucher program is unaccountable, it's costing too much. And so it, it's kind of her responsibility to then follow that kind of statement up with hmm. something in the budget. That is back to that, like, standing by your values, even if she simultaneously knows that Republicans have been crystal clear that they are not going to chip away at the ESA program. But, you know, again, budgets are moral documents. You have to show what you believe, even if you know that that's not the part that's going to get done, or certainly not at least the way you said you'd like it to. I mean, what did you make of what the governor proposed? Well, the first thing that struck me was how much of a difference from last year Because last year, and you can see the governor's administration starting to get their sea legs when it comes to um, putting out a budget, setting their priorities, making the case for what they're doing. Um, Last year, if you recall, they basically took the Joint Legislative Budget Committee's uh, revenue estimates and expenditure estimates on all the agency expenditures, hook, line, and sinker. Hmm. So that really set the stage for the legislature then to kind of um, dominate, I guess, the discussion of what was or was not going to happen. Yeah. Um, this time around, it was a little different. I think the governor uh, came out with their own budget uh, recommendations. It was interesting because uh, the morning that the governor was going to give her, well, the afternoon she was going to give her state of the state, the JLBC, the Joint Legislative Budget Committee, came out and said, oh, by the way, our budget deficit isn't about a billion dollars over the next two years. It's really $1.7 billion yeah, over the next bigger. two years. So I think they wanted to set the stage. Um but uh, the governor, in my opinion, did a pretty deft job of saying, you know what, we're going to stick to our budget recommendations. We're going to stick to our policies, not fall into, into the tit for tat, at least for now, because that's going to come soon enough. Yeah. Well, how do you see this this process going? Because as Don said, I mean, every every year we, we go through this, at least when you have a, a Democratic governor and Republican legislature where the, the governor puts out a budget, the Republicans say, nah, we don't think so. <laughs> and you can't do this year what they did last year where everybody got a certain amount of money just do with what they want. Like they need to close a shortfall this year. So I'm yeah. curious how you see the next few months going. So in the context of a $16 billion budget over the next two years, right, you got $32 billion that's going to be expended. To deal with uh, a one, let's say it's a $1.5 billion deficit, it, it's not astronomical. I guess, you know, I'm a little scarred from having gone through the Great Recession <laughs> yeah. and the massive uh, cuts that were made at that point. Um, but a lot of it is going to be sweeps. A lot of it is going to be um, curtailing the projects that were supposed to go. Um, now, a lot of those projects, and I was on the show with you criticizing that pork that they basically did in last session where they gave everybody 20, 30 million dollars and go spend it how you wish. Mm-hmm. Um, that just wasn't good budgeting, in my opinion. There really wasn't a focus on what the state was needing to accomplish. But because of those projects, it makes it easier. A lot of them were capital and they were not uh, initiated. So now they can come back and say, well, if they haven't been initiated, we can just say we're not going to do them or we're going to wait to do them until later, until we actually do have the money. So I, I, it makes it easier to put a budget together, in my opinion. But as we heard in the montage from David Livingston, a uh, state lawmaker, most of those projects that the governor's looking to claw back are Republican projects. Well, and because the fascinating point of that was because last year, many of the Democrats used their allocation to support a lot of the state agencies or education or, for instance, community colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that was to existing budget structures. 
whereas a lot of the Republican um, dollars that they expended were on uh, their district uh, initiatives, right? Sidewalks in Globe or... Rodeo grounds. Rodeo grounds in Prescott and all those kinds of things. So it does make it easier for the governor to say, well, wait a minute, there's capital projects and they haven't been initiated. We're going to stop them as opposed to ripping dollars out of a budget that might be going to state agencies for educational purposes, for instance. Yeah. So that's, I think, the biggest difference. All right. So, Don, talking about people questioning where state money is going, let's talk about the Arizona Commerce Authority, because Jake <laughs> Hoffman wants basically wants to stop the Arizona Commerce Authority from existing, uh, citing an Auditor General's report, citing uh, Attorney General Chris Mays's a letter from earlier this week, basically saying that these CEO forums are unconstitutional. Is there a, a real danger here? that the Commerce Authority could go away? I don't think so. And I think even Hoffman has signaled, well, I'll be open to amendments on this. Um, you know, this is this is a tough one because it's one of those issues that the average voter, a regular person, looks at this and says, how much money was spent whining and dining? You know, CEOs, I mean, they spent, what was it, over $2 million taking a few dozen CEOs to the Super Bowl mm -hmm. and the Phoenix Open. So any reasonable person would look at that and say, you know, that's out of control. But municipalities, mayors, some of our state leaders who participate in this say this is how we show the business community how good it could be for them to to relocate here, to mm -hmm. live here, to give their workers this quality of life. And so often these are going to be people of the same party or with shared interests saying, look, this is extravagant versus we need this kind of opportunity to show off how great our state is. So, so I think that they will put some guardrails on, they will limit some things, maybe even budgetary limits to make sure we're not seeing these massive price tags. But I cannot lose the opportunity to quote um, Attorney General Mays quoting the Arizona Supreme Court when they established the gift clause of our Constitution and saying that the, the this gift clause protects against orgies of extravagance. And I think that if you look at some of the spending, again, the average person will say, that's over the top. Yes, let's attract business. But, you know, concert tickets, hotels, uh, tailgate parties, maybe that's more than needed. That was not a phrase I had in my bingo card for, for hearing today. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I, will, I will say that. Thank you for that. So, Jaime, the, the committee that uh, took this up this week voted to revise or consolidate the agency as part of this sort of regular sunset review that all state agencies go through. Right. We don't really know what revising or consolidating could look like. I mean, do you have any sense of like what kinds of guardrails, what kinds of changes they might be looking to put on this agency? No, and I don't think a lot of those members that were a part of that discussion do either. Ah. Uh, you know, it, the one thing that strikes me, and I, I just got to say this, because when this was put into place and I was around when the ACA was mm -hmm. formed under Governor Brewer yeah. uh, and then expanded to a great extent under Governor Ducey, um, it's funny that you had a lot of Democrats that hated the ACA, that really were absolutely against it. And you can see why Chris Mays, you know, from a more popular standpoint, is saying that this is unconstitutional. But um, at the end of the day, it has to be uh, these orgies of expenditures <laughs> have to be uh, a benefit to Arizona, a benefit to the state. That's part of the constitutional right. framework of this. So there is a very strong argument to be made. Um, it was difficult because when Sandra Watson, the, the CEO of the Arizona Commerce Authority, was testifying, she was asked about w what organizations are you attracting? Well, it was difficult because you don't want to say, well, here's the uh, 
company that we're trying to get into Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the the fact of the matter is there has been a massive benefit. You've seen literally billions of dollars of uh, economic development that has occurred, that's come into Arizona by pulling in these organizations. And, and certainly our ability to attract mega events like the Super Bowl and the Final Four that's going to be happening here in March, mm-hmm. um, that is huge economic benefit. And it's not just for, for the, those days that the, those games are played. There is a correlation, and there's been a lot of economic analysis. The Alia Pollocks of the world, the Jim Rounds of the world are very strong economists in the state. There's a definite link to these types of events and to companies coming into Arizona, or, or individuals, for mm-hmm. that matter, just coming into Arizona, because it's it, it's an ability to showcase our state, and the ACA has taken that. And I think the governor has done a very good job of, of rallying the business community, which is interesting because that gives her uh, a form that she really hasn't had of of her showing herself to say, look, I'm a, a Democrat, but I'm working with the business community to make sure that economic development in Arizona continues. And that's she's in a good spot. Guys, let's talk about uh, Prop 123, which uh, is an initiative that was uh, voter approved, barely voter approved uh, several years ago under Governor Ducey's uh, administration. That essentially it's, it's complicated, but it essentially takes more money out than had been taken from the state land trust to give to schools. Uh, it's set to expire in a, a year or two. And there are now dueling uh, pro- uh, proposals for asking voters to extend it. Uh, legislative Republicans have uh, one idea. Governor Hobbs this week released her idea. I mean, I'm curious what you what you make of the two. It seems like the big difference is that the governor's plan would take more money out and mm-hmm. have it go to more things as opposed to the legislative Republicans plan, which is keeping it the same amount and just giving it to teachers. Correct. And then you have uh, State Treasurer Yee saying you can't do anything. Right. <laughs> or you do a lot less. <laughs> So the, the, the Governor Hobbs's plan essentially says we want to increase that amount of what we take out of the state trust land interest at 8.9%. From 6.9%, I think, is what the— Well, that's what the Republicans— What the legislative Republicans want. Are, —are proposing. So it does increase a little bit, the Republicans, from what uh, Governor Ducey did in creating this. Um, but the governor's proposal is significant. I mean, you're talking about— $750 million a year in addition that would come into the K-12 system. But, but I think that that is the, the, the big fight with the Republicans. And the Republicans, um, I think, deftly came out. And it was a, a, an interesting alliance between uh, Senate President Warren Peterson, who's part of the Freedom Caucus and you know, one of the more um, hard-right uh, conservatives in the state legislature, and Representative Matt Gress, who is the budget director for Governor Ducey, seen as more uh, moderate, if you will. But they came together and put together a proposal that said, yes, we want to do this. Yes, we want to extend one, two, three, but we only want it to go to teachers and teacher salaries. Now, we can argue whether that's good or bad. I, I think there's some legal issues because that uh, one, two, three, remember, settled a lawsuit right. that the school district yep. sued, saying that they weren't meeting their obligations and had won. And so that, so that's a, another piece of this. But from a political standpoint, that is a pretty deft maneuver because what they're saying is, look, we want to give teachers. We know teachers, uh, the shortage is real. We know there's um, uh, a lack of pay. That's probably the biggest part of it. Uh, so that's where they position themselves. And right now, if they were to band together, the legislature doesn't have to go through the governor because they could do a referral. And, and referrals in our state, uh, if they just have a simple majority in the House and the Senate, 
It doesn't need a governor. They just go right to the signature. ballot. It just go right yeah. to the ballot. So that's where you might have some competing uh, proposals. So the governor's trying to use her power of persuasion and her bully pulpit to make the case about the legal arguments, as well as all of the other folks in the K-12 system that probably need some resources as well. Well, so Don, how do you see those conversations playing out? Because to Jaime's point, the legislature doesn't need the governor's buy-in on what they're going to do. They can just pass it themselves and send it to the ballot. So do you see the governor having input here, having a role in terms of trying to maybe shape what the legislature sends, assuming that they send something? Yeah, well, it's still, even though it goes straight to the voters, it's still important that both sides see enough good in it that they will you know, stump for it, that they will be out there asking their constituencies to vote yes on it. Um, as we referenced the first time Prop 123 went to the ballot, it barely passed. Yeah. And I remember those were, it was a fight. Um, and so it's important that even though Governor Hobbs is not going to probably get, you know, everything that she's asking for, that that it a little bit gets loosened up. Um, I know for a fact that a lot of teachers, the people who would be the sole benefactors of the Republicans' plan, are saying, oh, come on, like, yes, increase my pay. Thank you. I appreciate that. I need that. But the support staff, a school does not function without those folks. You know, it's fine and well if teachers are better paid if we don't have bus drivers to bring the kids to the school because that is what Governor Hobbs' proposal says. Like, let's also give a pay raise to the to the nurses, to the bus drivers. Let's also make sure that our school buildings are safe and up to date so that learning can happen. And so I think that the Republicans should, you know, include some of these very good ideas. And Governor Hobbs will, of course, cheerlead for something that's not in her exact plan, but does a little bit more for schools. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how those two sides kind of come together and if there are true negotiations. Um, one one other bill that uh, started the, its uh, legislative journey this week that I think for a lot of people kind of came out of left field last year, the so-called tamale bill that would have allowed people to make things, foods like tamales in their homes and sell them. Uh, the governor vetoed it, surprising a lot of people, angering a lot of people right. last year. Um, there's some, still some question, though, Don, about whether Governor Hobbs is on board with what Representative Grantham has put forward this year. Well, I think, uh, interestingly enough, we so rarely get to look at our Arizona legislature and say things are working the way they should. This is the democratic <laughs> process. But really, I contend that this is one of them. You know, last year's bill, it was, uh, I think it was very overdramatized that it got vetoed because it was health con department concerns saying we want to see a little bit more here. A great example that I am, I care about is, you know, are there pets in the home of this home kitchen? Are there pet allergens mm. that a consumer should be allowed to know about, right? Um, should the home cook? Let's be able to find out who the home cook was. Let's have information on their licensure number or their certificate, whatever it's called. So thanks to this process, the bill is getting more feedback. It's getting improved. And I do predict that it is going to get to a place that already has bipartisan support, that it will get signed. And these improvements are good things that any regular person would like to see. I mean, this was described last year as kind of a self-inflicted wound on the governor when she vetoed it, because, as I mentioned, it ticked off a whole lot of people. Do you see this year as maybe a, a redeeming opportunity for, for the governor and the legislature? I, I do, and I'll make a prediction. I think there's massive bipartisan support. It got out uh, unanimous yeah. from the committee. Um, uh, 
I think uh, come Cinco de Mayo, uh, Governor Hobbs is going <laughs> to sign the bill with great fanfare, and there's going to be tamales all over the state capitol. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll all have to go down and, and partake because obviously they are delicious. Is this like is this a sign of anything, though? Like we, we've talked so much, Jaime, about sort of the relationship between the governor and her staff and the legislature last year and how in certain ways it maybe wasn't as good as it could and Correct. should have been. Is this maybe a sign that things could be getting better? You mentioned the governor sort of getting her sea legs earlier with the budget. Is this maybe another example of that kind of thing? I do. I, I think there's a lot of growing planes. I, and I've been part of a, a new administration where it takes a while to yeah. really understand the the authority that a governor has and the power that a governor has, uh, but also the ability to influence and, and build coalitions. Um, the governor uh, brought in uh, Chad Campbell as her chief of staff, mm-hmm. uh, widely regarded as very... Um, an adept political player in the system uh, has a lot of good reputation within the business community and other community organizations. So that makes a difference. So when you have folks that know how to not just put together a, a legislative game plan, but to build those coalitions that could back it up. So for instance, we were talking a lot about what's going on with the ACA. Mm-hmm. Um, the governor has been making the rounds to a lot of these business groups, soliciting their support. Last year, you didn't see a lot of that kind of uh, effort. So that's where... I think her ability to to galvanize these community organizations and particularly business organizations will go a long way to uh, helping her, uh, achieve a lot of her agenda. Don, briefly before we wrap up, do you do you agree with that that the governor sort of and her staff are sort of figuring it out, figuring out how to how to be governor? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really clear. Anybody who's down there working, you know, uh, talking across the constituencies across the state, it feels like they have found their stride and they're making real progress and building real relationships. All right. That is Don Penish-Thacker, Jaime Molera. Thanks, guys, for coming in. appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.